Well, I forgot to say this earlier. My name is Jerry. I am the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel. For those of you that are new or visiting, um, I would love to get to know you. In fact, after service today, we're going to be hosting Intro to Genesis in the living room right across the hallway. Free lunch. We'd love to get to meet you and tell you a little bit about who we are and what we do. So I hope to meet you there. Um, Now, I think we would all agree that now that the busy season of Christmas and the gift buying and giving is behind us, it's time to move on to other things, right? Can we all agree to that? And the most important thing that we need to move on to is returning all the gifts for Christmas that we didn't want in the first place, right? (laughs) By show of hands, how many of you have already visited Kohl's to stand in the Amazon return line? There's no shame here. Oh, you liars. I know you have. I was there. The line was long, right? Sometimes you get a duplicate and you want to return that. And sometimes you get something you don't want. You want to return that too, right? And so I know that Jesus is the reason for the season. He's the greatest gift that's ever been given to humanity. But the Amazon return line at Kohl's is a distant second, but it is a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Now, I want to take a moment to brag on my wife, though. She has developed this skill over the last several years of giving gifts that are so perfect. They're not on your radar. They're not on your list. But when you open them, you're like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I needed. She did this for her sister this year. And it was so cool to watch her light up at this gift. And she did this for me this year. She got me a brand new backpack. And I know that sounds funny. I'm turning 42 in a couple of weeks and you're thinking, really, a backpack? Yes, for 20 years, I've been carrying around a backpack with me with my computer, my books, my files. Everywhere I go, my backpack goes with me. If I go to my parents' house, the backpack goes. If I go out of the country, the backpack goes with me. And it was starting to look a little rough. The, the strap was falling apart, but I'm too cheap to buy one on my own. And so I was thrilled to get this gift. And on, sat, on uh, Christmas morning, I began the process of taking all the stuff out of the old backpack and putting it in to the new backpack. And I made, I made a couple of discoveries, really. There was stuff in there. I don't know how long it had been in there. I was carrying around all this stuff that I just, I didn't use a bunch of extra weight. And so I decided it's time for some of this stuff to go. I'm starting a new year. I I need to lighten the load a little bit. But wouldn't you agree, wouldn't you agree that life is just like that sometimes? You get something new or something new happens and it's time to reevaluate. How did I get here and where are we going? And so it's time to let go of old habits and patterns so we can start new and healthier rhythms. And now that it's the beginning of a new year, this is the perfect time to do that. We're all kind of thinking about it anyway, right? But we're not just starting a new year. We're starting a brand new decade. Like what we do now is going to impact us 10 years from now. And so wouldn't you agree if ever there was a time for us to reevaluate and set some new healthy rhythms, the beginning of a decade is the best place to start. But I'm like Michael. Michael mentioned this earlier. I avoid New Year's resolutions because they don't have a long shelf life, do they? I mean, you're lucky if you get a resolution that makes it to the 15th or the 20th. Because what, what really happens is those new resolutions give way to old patterns. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves in the same old ruts. And we're, we're frustrated by that, right? Well, here's what's interesting. According to some research done by Psychology Today magazine, one of the biggest reasons our New Year's resolutions fail. Are you all ready for this? One of the biggest reasons we bail on our New Year's resolutions according to scientific study, is that we're not ready to change. Isn't that interesting? We like the idea of setting a resolution, but we don't really want to follow that through, right? We love the idea. In other words, think about this. To to actually follow through on a resolution, we have to think about things we're going to do and not do. 
in order for the end result to become a reality. And here's a dirty little secret about making resolutions that none of us want to admit. The reasons we have to make them in the first place is that our current rhythms and habits are perfectly designed to produce the results we're already getting. The way we're living life right now is the reason life is the way that it is. And so we want to make resolutions, but we know resolutions don't last long. And so we're kind of stuck in this, this spot. And so think about how this plays out in, in every different aspect of life. Think about this with your health and fitness. Some of us have health issues that limit us from living a healthy lifestyle. But for the most part, we know this. If we would just eat better and exercise often, we would naturally be healthier. We know that. But our current patterns and rhythms don't provide for that. It's true with our finances. Some of us have had an unfortunate event, a major job loss, or we've had an extended hospital stay or a painful divorce that's caused us some financial pain. But for most of us, our current spending and saving and earning habits have landed us in the financial spot that we're in in the first place. It's true in all these different areas of life. And so let's take this theory and let's apply it to our relationship with God. Now I'm going to ask you some questions and you don't have to raise your hands unless you want to. But how many of you would be willing to admit that there are times when you're not satisfied in your relationship with God? He feels really far away from you. He feels distant or it doesn't feel like the two of you are on the same page. And chances are you felt that way before, or maybe some of you would be really honest and say, you know what, I feel that way today. I have felt that way for a while, and I really don't know what to do about it. I've tried lots of things, and nothing, nothing is changing. Well, here's what I would want you to hear. You're not alone. Satan would want you to believe that you're alone, but you're not. And I don't know if this is an encouragement to you or more of a discouragement to you, but as a pastor, I feel this way more often than I care to admit. I go through spiritual dry spells. I experience discouragement all the time, and I don't like it, but I know I'm not alone because I've talked to many of you that have said, man, this is how I feel, and I'm like, oh, gosh, that makes me feel better because I feel that way too. But what, what are we going to do? What, what do we do about that when we find ourselves stuck there? Well, here's the thing. Be encouraged because you're not alone if you're spiritually frustrated or discouraged. However, if you're like me, you probably need to be reminded of this. One of the reasons you might feel that way is because your current rhythms and habits and patterns are perfectly designed to lead you to the place where you find yourself. And I have to admit, that's true for me too. I don't always have the healthiest spiritual patterns. Do you ever read scripture and feel like it just bounces off of you? You read it and you're like, I really don't even know what I'm reading right now. I do. I don't, I don't like it. But maybe you're like me if you feel that way. Maybe you're reading scripture like it's a chore as opposed to something that you get to do or a source of wisdom. Have you ever felt like God doesn't hear or answer your prayers? I do. And maybe if you felt that way before, maybe you're like me and it's because you're praying for the same thing all the time in the same way and you never stop to say, hey God, by the way, what do you think is best? I'm guilty of that. Or here's one that I don't think any of us would want to admit, but I know that we can all relate to. Do you have a bad habit that tends to get you in trouble or it's eroding your character or your integrity? Maybe you lack self-control with your mouth or with your actions and you want to change to do things God's way. But if you're like me, you have a hard time slowing down and letting the Holy Spirit help you hit reset. Now, I can't help but wonder 
When we find ourselves in those positions spiritually, I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons we feel that way is because we like the idea of change, but we're not ready to change. And one of the reasons I think we feel distant from God is because we don't know how to sit still and be with him and enjoy him and to hear his voice. So we're starting a new year, we're starting a new decade. Maybe the most important question we can ask is, what are we gonna do about that? If that's the most important thing in life, what will we do about it? Because here's the truth. If we want to change the result, we have to be willing to change our processes. We gotta be willing to do things differently. Which means if we want to experience change in our spiritual lives, we're going to need to make some changes in our spiritual rhythms and habits and priorities. And so for the next couple of weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're, going to, we're starting a series today called Flourish. It's based out of Psalm 92 verse 12, which says this, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Now I'm going to explain that verse in greater detail in just a second, but here's what's interesting. That word flourish in Hebrew, it can be translated as bud or bloom, to bud or bloom like a flower or a fruit. And believe it or not, this is what God wants for each one of us. But not just in our everyday lives, this is what God desires for each one of us in our relationship with him, to flourish, to know him, to listen to him and to follow him. And so I wanna encourage all of you today to follow along with me as we go through Psalm 92, Together, You can turn there on your phone, on your tablet, in your Bible, Psalm 92, or in the Bibles around the room, it's going to be on page 414. I'll have all the verses that you need up here, but I want to encourage you to follow along on your own. And here's the thing, as we break this, as we break this Psalm down together, what we're going to, we're going to find some things that we can do to help us flourish spiritually. Now, the first thing that we need to know about Psalm 92 is that it's a Psalm of Thanksgiving, which means it was written to give thanks to God for who he is and what he has done. And it was also written to encourage his people, to encourage, to pray, encourage them to praise him for all the things he's done. And it begins like this in verse one. It's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. Verse four says, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what you have done. So right away, you get the vibe of thanksgiving right off the top. But something interesting happens when you get to verse six. By the time you get to verse six, the psalmist begins to describe two different groups of people. The first group of people is found in verses six through nine, and they are referred to as senseless, fools, evildoers, and enemies of God. That's the first group of people. And the second group of people is found in verses 12 through 15, and they are simply referred to as the righteous. So I want to do something fun today. We're going to divide the room into those two groups of people. All the senseless evildoers that are enemies of God, you can come over here. You guys don't have to move. I know you, that's who you are. Stay over there. I'm just kidding. All right. Now, it's never good to assume anything for anybody, but I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that because you're here today, you don't want to be known as a senseless fool that's an evildoer and an enemy of God. You want to be known, like me, as somebody that's righteous. But here is what's fascinating, okay? Psalm 92 describes both of these groups of people as flourishing in their own unique way. But as you've probably guessed, one is better than the other. So look at what verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 92 say. Verse 5 says, how great are your works, Lord, how profound your thoughts. Now listen to this. Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers, here's our word, flourish, they will be destroyed forever. 
Now, those are strong words. And essentially what the writers of this psalm is saying is, hey, you can choose to live your life however you want. You, don't, you can live apart from God, but here's what you need to know. A life apart from God is not going to end well. In fact, in, in their words, it says you're going to be destroyed forever. And to make this point, he compares these people to grass. He says these people are like grass that springs up everywhere. Now, I want you to think about spring. We're all ready for spring to get here, right? One of the best things about spring is all the stuff that looks dead starts to show signs of life, right? And one of those things is the grass. The grass goes from being nasty to like bright and vibrant green. But if you looked at grass right now, I don't know anybody that's got a nice looking yard, especially mine, right? It's patchy, it's nasty, it's gross. Grass is, is seasonal. And the psalmist is saying, when it comes to our relationship with God, you don't want to be like grass that springs up, but then quickly fades. Now compare that to what is said about the righteous in verses 12 through 15. Verse 12 says this, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Now right away, you can see the difference, right? People that choose to ignore God are compared to grass that's weak and easily withers. But the people that trust God, that depend on God, they're referred to as strong trees. Now, the Old Testament says that palm trees are luxurious, teaches that the palm trees are luxurious plants, okay? And you know this is true. I've grown up in Indiana my whole life. And whenever I travel south, you go far enough, you start to see palm trees. And I get excited. Because you know, oh, I'm in a place that's nice. It doesn't snow here. It stays warm year round. Oh, and by the way, that means the beach is close. And I don't care what you say, looking at the beach is way better than looking at cornfields, okay? When you see palm trees, you know this place is nice. It's luxurious. But the psalmist goes on and he, he gets a little more specific. He says, not just palm trees, but cedars of Lebanon. Now this might not mean much to us, but here's what's interesting. The cedars of Lebanon are mentioned over a hundred different times throughout scripture. And in the Old Testament, they're known as the strongest, healthiest trees that can withstand any storm and threat. And so when it comes to your spiritual life, would you rather be described as weak grass that will easily be trampled or as a strong tree that can bear fruit and grow strong enough to provide shade for other people. Because believe it or not, this is what God wants for each one of us. He wants, for, uh, he wants us to flourish in our relationship with him so that we can help other people and advance his kingdom. That's his desire. But in order for this to take place, there's something really important that has to happen first. Look at, let's read verse 12 and 13 together and look at what we learn here. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord... They will, here's our word again, flourish in the courts of our God. Now, I'm going to be honest and say I don't know anything about planting anything, okay? But here's what I know to be true about planting a tree or anything like that. You got to make sure you plant it in the right spot, right? It has to have the right amount of sun, the right amount of shade. It's got to have access to water. It's got to have good soil in order for it to flourish. And the psalmist is saying, look, the same is true for any one of us that wants to be righteous, any one of us that wants to be spiritually healthy, we need to be planted in God's presence. And verse 14 goes on to explain the benefits of this. Verse 14 says, they will still bear fruit in old age and they will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no wickedness in him. Now, my grandfather just passed away recently. He was 91 years old and he was going strong until the very end. 
He had a sharp mind. He, he was literally, he just died of old age. His heart just stopped. But a few days before he died, he was sharp and playing cards and talking to people and asking about family members. And when I read this passage, they will still bear fruit in old age and they will stay fresh and green. I think of my grandfather. The psalmist says, this is a benefit of those of us that, that find our presence in God. And it's a great picture of what a rich spiritual life can look like. And we find similar language in Psalm chapter one that says this. Psalm one through three says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Now, how's that for a New Year's resolution? If somebody asks you this week, what's your New Year's resolution? Just say, I am going to be successful at everything that I do. Because that's what that phrase, everything they do prospers, means. And that might sound too good to be true, but Jesus said something similar to this in John 15, 5. He said this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, look, everybody's got two choices. And in fact, Jesus says, there's two types of people in the world. There are people that will remain in me or abide in me, as we say here at Genesis. And when you remain or abide in me, I will work in your life to help you bear fruit for me. But you can also choose to live apart from me. And Jesus says, just know if you do that, you will not bear any fruit of eternal significance. And so I want you to think about this. Psalm 92, Psalm 1, and Jesus in John 15, they are all basically saying the same thing. That we can deepen our faith, we can strengthen our roots, we can stand strong spiritually against the storms of life when we learn how to remain or abide in the presence of God. But here's the thing that you know and I know. That's not easy, is it? Planting ourselves in God's presence it's not as easy as we want it to be. And so we need to have a sustainable plan that's going to keep us planted in his presence. Because otherwise, if you're like me, and I bet you are, you're tempted to want to wander away and try things off on your own. And so with the time that we have left today, I want to suggest some, some simple things that we can do that are guaranteed. They're guaranteed to help us flourish spiritually. But I want to challenge you with this. I'm going to give you some things to do, but I want to challenge you to stop doing some things as well, because you don't need more to carry around. We need to lighten the load a little bit. So the first thing that I want to challenge you to do in the new year is to stop reading the Bible and to begin meditating on Scripture. And I want to challenge you to write that down. Write this down. Meditate on Scripture. Stop reading the Bible and learn how to meditate on Scripture. I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And one of my favorite things is to read and study Scripture with people. I, I really, really enjoy it. But this year, I want to get better at learning how to meditate on Scripture. There's a big difference between reading something and meditating on it. Now, don't get me wrong. Reading Scripture is not bad. I will still continue to read Scripture to my children before they go to bed at night. But we got to figure out what's the difference between the two. And I realize that when I use the word meditation, it might freak some of you out, right? Because it's associated with mysticism. In many Eastern religions, the goal of meditation is to empty your mind and explore your soul. But that's not true with bi biblical meditation. Biblical meditation isn't emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the truth of God's word. The word meditate appears almost 30 different times throughout scripture. And its central meaning is to contemplate or think about something over and over again. You don't just read it. 
you read it and you reread it and you stop and you look at the different words and you pray about it, you pray through it, you revisit it again and you let it roll over your mind. You can even pray through it throughout the course of the day. And we don't just meditate on scripture so that we can know scripture. We meditate on scripture so we can learn and discover who God really is and know how to follow him. And reading scripture is good for gaining wisdom. uh, Memorizing scripture is good. That those are all good things. But if we really want to know who God is and how to follow him, we've got to learn how to meditate on his word. Now, I want to be honest with you. I'm not really good at this and I want to get better. And maybe you're like me and you're like, well, where do I start? How do you even begin something like that? I'm going to give you two practical places you can start. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, okay? And January has 31 days. And so, so far, uh, I've missed yesterday, but so far I'm trying to read a proverb a day and, and meditating on it, seeing what it has to say. And so maybe you start today with Proverbs 5 and you read it and you reread it and you pray through it. And maybe tomorrow you go on to the next one, but maybe you stop. Maybe something hangs you up and you're like, I'm going to hang out here for a while. So start in Proverbs and work your way through. You're on your own timeline, okay? The second thing, the second place you can start is start reading through and meditating on the book of Philippians. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a brand new series, a four-week series on Philippians together. And think about it. What, what, how powerful could it be if we started reading and meditating on it now so we started having corporate conversations about it later? So those are some simple ways that you can get started on this. So step one is to stop reading the Bible and begin meditating on Scripture. Step two is I want to challenge you to stop praying about the big things. If you're like me, you probably pray about all the same things in all the same ways all the time. And God's like, if, if I were God, I'd be like, oh my gosh, Jerry, I can't take it anymore. You've been saying this, like you're 42 years old. You've been saying this for at least 35 years, okay? Stop praying about the big things and start praying about everything. Every decision, every interaction, every word you're going to say. The Apostle Paul says it like this. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, that's a whole sermon series in and of itself. Don't be anxious about anything. But then he says, in every situation, in every situation at home, with your family, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your spouse, at work, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus modeled this for us. If you read throughout the Gospels, we learn that Jesus got away often by himself to pray. This is Jesus in the flesh. Jesus needed to pray often, all by himself. And he connected with God in a way that was different than anyone else. else, And the results were evident in his life. In fact, when it came down to it, his disciples, we only have one time recorded where they asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. And it wasn't, hey, Jesus, would you change water into wine? Or would you multiply this food? The thing they asked was, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Because my guess is when he prayed, things happened. It was different. And we believe that developing this skill of prayer is one of the greatest skills, relational skills that we need to develop because effective prayer is the skill of relating to God in the way that he wants us to relate to him. Think about this. Prayer isn't just learning how to say the right things in the right way at the right time so God, so you get God's attention and you get what you want. That's not, that's not effective prayer. The heart behind prayer, or maybe the engine that drives prayer in the first place is the relationship that we already have with him. We're talking to somebody like we talk to them all the time. He knows us and we know him. And, and here's the truth. And you know this. Life is hard. Hard things are gonna happen. They're guaranteed to happen. 
And if we don't know how to relate to him now, if we have a relationship with him that is weak or non-existent, we won't know what to do when we need him the most. And we need him all the time. And so we have to learn how to develop this relationship with him in prayer so that we can turn to him. And here's the thing. Scripture teaches us over and over and over again, God isn't a distant cosmic being out there somewhere that hears us sometimes maybe. He is an intimate, personal, heavenly father that is aware of everything already. He is just waiting for us to come and relate to him so he can share his perfect peace and comfort and joy with us even when life is falling apart. Now, if you really, if this intrigues you, if you want to know where and how to start on this prayer thing, we've got some folks that are going to start a prayer team here this year. And they're going to begin meeting on Sunday mornings before services, and they're going to pray about a variety of things. And we're inviting people, if you want to be on that team, find me after service. I will get you connected with those people. Or after service, if you need prayer, come forward. We've got people that would love to pray with you. Or write your prayer request on the back of a connection card and turn it in so we can be praying for you on a regular basis. So if we want to flourish in our relationship with God, we need to stop reading the Bible and begin meditating on Scripture. Stop praying about the big things and start praying about everything. But here's the third thing that we need to do. We need to stop going to church and we need to start connecting in community. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make about church is we think it's right here, right now. This building at this time on a Sunday. And here's the truth. This building used to be a hardware store. And this building could be bulldozed tomorrow, but that doesn't mean that Genesis Church would cease to exist, right? We are the people that make up this church, and we need to connect in this community together. Now, this is so important. We're going to talk all about this next week, but I just want to pause and say this to you guys. There's a couple of really specific ways I want to challenge every one of us to get connected. One, join us on a Sunday. We don't take attendance, okay? But it's good to be together. There is something that happens when we are together worshiping God and learning together. I want to challenge everybody to be serving somewhere on a regular basis and not just like once a month or once a quarter. We need everybody serving somewhere every other week. You can't see it right now, but down that hallway, we have a thriving children's ministry and there are a few people with a lot of kids right now that are teaching them how to follow Jesus, but we need more. We need more. We need more people serving on the host team on a Sunday morning. Right now, Paul Mumal was here. Our lead pastor was here. He texted me before he left and he said, hey, I just want to let you know we're out of parking spots. That's a great problem to have. I've been praying for a problem like that, but we need a parking team. We need people that are willing to stand out there and help organize our parking lot. Because here's the thing. We're not ready to grow. If we started growing right now, we don't have enough people to serve with all the kids. We don't have enough people to help organize the parking lot. We need people in the tech booth. We need people in the cafe. And here's the thing. We want to get strong here so we can get really strong out there. We've got to take care of one another. So we've got to connect, with, to connect in community. If you are not serving, I want to challenge you to write your name on a card and turn it into the tent, and we will follow up with you and help you find a place to serve, okay? We all have gifts, talents, and abilities, and we need to do this together. But the second way you can connect in community is to join a connection group. Danielle talked about this a little bit ago. These are the lifeblood of our church. I promise you, you will not be disappointed if you connect with a group of people on a regular basis and study God, God's word together. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. You're the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. Now there's truth in that, but it's not really biblical. But Proverbs 13 says it like this. 
Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And here's the reality. The biggest obstacle in our life sometimes in growing in our relationship with God is the people that we allow to influence us away from him. They don't draw us towards God. They pull us away from him. They don't seek his wisdom. They look for ways around it. And this is why connecting in a group and connecting in this community is so important. We're going to be talking a lot about connection groups in the weeks to come. But hear me when I say this. We all need to have friendships with people that aren't following Jesus. We just need to make sure that we're the influencers in those relationships. We need to make sure we're influencing them more towards Jesus than they are pulling us away from him. And these groups are ways that we are strong. We have numbers where we can stand strong in our faith and influence our friends to grow in their relationship with Jesus. So I'm not big on setting New Year's resolutions, but I think this is a pretty good one. Stop reading the Bible and begin meditating on Scripture. Stop praying about the big things and pray about everything and stop going to church and connecting community. But I want to remind you, if you're in, just know one of the things that will hinder that is that are you ready for change or not? Ask yourself this question. Because the way we're living right now is producing the results that we're getting. But what if we agreed together to say, I'm ready. It's going to be a new year. It's going to be a new decade. And this is going to be lifelong, sustainable patterns that I'm going to pursue to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Which means you're probably going to have to cut some things out of your life. Like maybe you have a TV habit that's going to have to go so you can relate to him better. Our family, actually not our family, me and my wife decided that we're ending Netflix, at least for a while. Our kids aren't happy about it. But here's the thing, we need some more time together in the evenings to enjoy one another, but also to pray together. And so maybe you need to cut something like that too. Maybe you have a hobby that's become more than a hobby. Maybe you need to get out of your garage more often or away from your shop, or maybe you're so busy shuttling all your kids back and forth to all their sporting events. You would say, I just don't have time. But is it a priority? Is it a priority that you're planning yourself in God's presence? I want to be known as someone that is doing that. We're going to have to make some changes as we go. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. You've got a card in front of you right now, and there's a question at the bottom of that card that says this. What do I need to stop doing or do less of so I can start doing something even better? I'm going to pray. You can leave your eyes open. And I want to challenge you to listen to the Holy Spirit and write down whatever he says. What do you need to stop so you can start something better that will lead you into a relationship that is flourishing with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the example of weak grass and strong trees. Holy Spirit, when I look around this room, I see great people and I know they love you. I know they're like me. They, they want to flourish Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you say, stop doing this? We already know what it is. Would you give us the courage to write down the thing that we need to start doing? Holy Spirit, would you meet us in those moments when we sit to be with you and would you help us feel your presence in ways we've never felt it before? And we might, it might lead us to tears, it might lead us to joy, but would you help us to make space, make room to be with you, and would you begin to help us have some spiritual rhythms and patterns that are new and that are different and draw you close? And would you help the people around us to say, hey, you're different, what's going on? And we would know, oh gosh, I'm, I'm planning myself in God's presence, it's paying off. Holy Spirit, teach us what to stop. Show us what to start so we can flourish. We can be known as righteous people that are all about drawing people 
to you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your great name that we pray.